Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Katie. And I'm Kate. And this is Premeditated. 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 I got my name right this week. You did. You did. You got it right. I was struggling. But it is, I, so our listeners know, Kate does go by Katie in her family. So whenever I'm like with her like mom and she's talking about her and she says like Katie, I assume she's talking about yeah. me in third person. And I'm like, why are we doing this? Yeah. But then I'm like, oh, wait, no, you're talking about your daughter. <laughs> So our listeners also know we're recording during the day today, which is fun. Normally we record at night, but we're recording during the day and my child is home yeah. running around upstairs. So if you hear some like clop, clop, clop in the background. It's not a Monty Python yeah. movie happening. <laughs> exactly. it's, it's her kid running back and forth. Again, I can never have children because I startle so easily. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I will be standing in front of the toaster and I know what's going to happen. Like I put toast in, right? Like I know it's coming, <laughs> but then when it does, it still gets me every time. It's like Buddy the Elf, like wedding those So yeah, that's Kate. So yeah, so don't startle. Don't think it's a ghost or yeah, Monty Python, the clippy clop of the coconuts. It's not. It's literally my child doing something upstairs. Hard to say what. Running your mom yeah, ragged. Running my mom a little bit ragged. But thank you guys for, for joining us again this week. Uh, my voice is back for the most part. Still, still a little nasally over here. A little but nasally. nasally but, but I know I was going to do a Michigan case this week, but I got like the book I am reading about it is so long and I'm only like halfway through it. And so I'm like, I got to put a pause on that to quickly put together a different episode. So that's what I did. We're going to Illinois this week. <gasps> Illinois. Yeah. And I, it's, you know, there's going to, there's lots of Illinois stuff again because of big city Chicago. So, but this one is an oldie. John Gacy. It's an oldie. Illinois. John Gacy. That's, that's true. A killer clown. I think John Wayne Gacy is one of the most terrifying. They see that is where a lot of people's fear of clowns is rooted in. Like either that or they already had a fear of clowns because of a Stephen King's novel. It sure B just clowns in general, because you can't see facial features and they're exaggerated. Right. And that is what perpetuates a fear of clowns. And the reason that children are okay with clowns, they don't register like expressions and stuff yet. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And, yeah. So. Yeah. And there's that other case. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a woman who was, I can't remember if she died or if she was just like. In it, Florida? It, yeah. About like it was a. a and a clown knocked on the door. Yeah. With a balloon. shot her. Shot her. Yeah. I can't remember. Was she just deformed or was she killed? No, she was killed. She was killed. Amy Fisher deformed. Oh, yeah. Amy Fisher. Uh, <laughs> Joey Botafuco. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Long Island Lolita. Long Island Lolita. But no, that, yeah, it was, I guess it was in Florida. Yeah. Just a creepy ass clown with a balloon comes to your door, knocks with like a present and shoots you. Yikes. Yeah. Side note. Do you know who has a really funny Twitter? Who? Monica know. Lewinsky. What? She's fucking hilarious. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we aren't on Twitter because I honestly don't use it personally. So I don't really know how to use it. No. I don't get the concept of only typing like 20 character was it words? I, no, I don't get I, it. I had a Twitter account for a while just to follow my favorite author and my Twitter handle was mind the alpaca. <laughs> Kate is very like I hope you get it in this podcast that Kate is so funny. Oh and stop. You are so she, so all of our hilarious Instagram posts are not me guys. Like, oh, I, I think I'm pretty funny. In fact my you, mom did say I was the funniest person in our family which was oh like Oh my god Julie you beat Maddie out. I know she yeah. was pissed. She actually called me and was pissed. It was yeah the whole thing. But all of our funny Instagram posts which if you're not following us on Instagram you should be 
But Kate, that's Kate. I know. Mankey's hankies literally occurred to me. And I was like, wouldn't it be so cool if when he's by himself and he's going to his like 500 drawers of pocket, pocket squares, squares and he just goes in his little boxers and he has like suspenders with the undershirt and he's like, do, 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 mankeys, hankies. And yeah. So anyway, that's follow us on Instagram at premeditated podcast. Because you're missing out on some funny out. shit. You're missing out. You're missing so out. So we've been chit-chatting here. Should we just jump in so Let's we can- Let's do it! Sure, there are more chit-chat to come, guys. Don't worry. Oh. And- We can't help ourselves. And singing. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> you got your singing I know, my singing back. voice is back in again. It's like, have you heard that uh, John Lennon, when the Beatles recorded Twist and Shout, he had a cold, so his voice was like particularly raspy, and that's what made that song? <gasps> oh. That's me right now. I have a beautiful singing voice, and it's not going to come back this way, but for right now, it's gorgeous. So you're welcome in advance. Oh, well, thank what you. It's, it's a gift. You gave, <laughs> you gave me a Father's Day gift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, guys, let's jump in. So we're doing another oldie. I am a big fan of oldies. You are. I love old cases because you have to really dig to find stuff. And like, you know, something about a black and white photo makes everything more creepy. So it it's just does. like, I don't know. So yeah, that whole old timey. And like, I was born in the wrong generation. Like I was meant to be a wealthy woman in England in the 1920s. That is just either that or a poor American woman in the 1920s. So I could be like a flapper. And during the day, I like worked on the railroad or something. So like one of the daughters in Downton Abbey. Yes. But like which one? Not Mary. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe a socialite of some kind, I but, like but a sassy. Okay. Oh, no. Civil Civil's too demure for me. Okay. I what about like the cousin? The cousin. That comes yes, out. Rose. Yeah, Rose. You could be Rose. If I was 150 pounds lighter, but uh, yeah, I, I just the clothes and the, and the, oh God. And so maybe, maybe I shouldn't say 1920, like 1930s, okay. like pre-World War II, the clothes and the music and the liquor and the dancing yeah. and like wild. So yes. Anyway, so, yeah, so, so I, I love, love that you're doing these. I love all these. Like I really do. And this was another Edward Radin, which is an author that I became obsessed with a couple of years back. How do you spell that? R-A-D-I-N. So it might be Radin, Radin, not sure. This was from his book, Crimes of the Year. Ooh. So it's just like an anthology of, of short stories about true crimes that happened. I love an anthology. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, because like you don't have to get point. too invested yeah. Like and a full book about something is also great, but a lot of times, like it does give more information than you like need to know. Yeah, but still, but so an anthology is like short to the point, which is why uh, I did this. It was a crazy week, and I didn't have a whole lot of time because in between my you know book reading uh, for Michigan, and I just did a little short one here. But this is from Edward Raiden, Crimes of the Year. And it's from 1949. 1949. We're bringing it back. Just after World War II. Right. Just after World War II. Just after D-Day. So we're in Riverdale, Illinois. And it was June 29th, 1949. The police station was quiet. It was very early in the morning. So it was like, you know, the, the late nighters were just getting close to the end of their shift. And the quiet was broken with a car horn blaring outside of the, the police station. So there's like a, only a couple, there's like uh, assistant police chief Ray Crass was there as well as a couple others, but very few police officers were at the station at that time. And car horns back then were loud. Yeah, right? Cars were, there were no noise ordinances. Yeah, right. (laughs) And, and I believe is like, you know, I mean, you car buffs out there will know this better than me, but it was more like an air horn. Probably. Yeah. Or it was no, that was until the seventies. Yeah, the long horn. Yeah, yeah. 
so uh, assistant police chief Ray Crafts rushes outside to see what's going on and he approaches the car and as they do a man slides out of the vehicle oh. and surprises officers he was naked <gasps> except for he had a shirt that was tied around his waist and he was like sopping wet his hair was like all disheveled and he was like hopping up and down excitedly pointing at his mouth and then pointing at his car saying like I can't talk but there's something in the car that you have to see and just like literally just jumping up and down so like, he wasn't covered in blood he was just wet he was just sopping and wet. he couldn't talk and he couldn't talk oh my gosh okay. and so police officers like what in the hell so they of course are like there's something in the car so they start approaching the car and as they do they see that there's a nearly naked woman laying across the back seat. She was sprawled out. Her dress was pulled up basically around her neck. So the police grab the woman as carefully as possible and like right. take her out of the car, bring her into the police station and lie her uh, on the ground. So um, this, so just a second, this guy wasn't wearing any clothes. Right. Just a shirt tied around his waist. Right. But the woman had clothes but it was just like, that her dress was pulled up over her head. Right. Okay. That exactly. is fucking weird. It's but, very strange. Yeah. But so where they were in Riverdale was not super far from Chicago. It's like one of the southern suburbs of Chicago. You know, this is a thing that all Chicago people do. And I know several when they'll, they're like, I'm from Chicago, but they're not actually from right. Chicago. They're like, right. they're from like a suburb. It's like, I, when I tell I say people, I'm from Minneapolis. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not. We're, we're from a suburb. Yeah. Don't say it, you freak. <laughs> we're not stackers. Yeah. So they bring her into the station. She's seemingly unconscious and they notice that she's frothing at the mouth. Uh-oh. So they call for medical help and they actually, this was interesting. This is like a total side note, but they called for an inhalator squad, which I was like, what the hell is an inhalator squad? Inhalator squad. What it was, was it was like a resuscitation machine that all like kind of smaller cities had because it took so long for like medical care to arrive. So like ambulances now, you call 911 and an ambulance will be to your house for right. like five, 10 minutes. Right. But they didn't have that at the time. So they had these like resuscitation machines it's like it's like almost like an oxygen machine but okay. it does something with your lungs and tries to like resuscitate you okay so they got a resuscitation machine it was there within a couple of minutes and police were attempting to resuscitate her with this for 40 minutes and during this time they're just focusing on this woman they're not like paying attention to this guy who's like hopping up and down like, being like oh like crazy so the young man was continuing to jump up and down and he was pointing at his mouth he couldn't talk and was clearly in distress and just was there jumping up and down naked, pointing at his mouth the whole time. Poor kid. I know. And they were like, focus on this one, which granted, like she was unconscious and clearly like in more need of help than he was. But he was like, Argh. so the doctor finally arrived. It took him 40 minutes. So that's the reason for the 40 minutes. Right. And this guy can't talk. Right. This guy can't talk. Like you think that maybe a bystander would just take a peek in his mouth for yeah. a second. Right. Like, like what's yeah. in there? What is in there? <laughs> so he told the police that you know when the doctor got there he saw what the police had been doing trying to resuscitate the woman but he's like guys there's no oh, use shoot. like she was she like, wet was so her dress she wet? wasn't nope okay. she was not wet so what is this dude wet? right and so and the, at first the cops assumed because he was sopping wet they were like maybe she drowned like they yeah. didn't they couldn't tell obviously because right. he can't talk yeah he's just pointing at her and pointing and at himself his and dingles he's, just dingles right, like, just like dangling jumping up and down so he you know the the doctor's like, guys, sorry to say, like, there's there's no use. She's gone. And he's like, she didn't drown. She was actually beaten. He's like, you can see Holy. that her skull has a huge fracture in so the front. I guess foaming at the mouth. Probably like, you know, when you have like a, when you get like a brain bleed or something, maybe she had a seizure or something, but she, right. had, she had foamed at the mouth. Right. And that's what that plus him being sopping wet had caused them to believe that she had maybe drowned. But the, he was like, no, she's been beaten. I have a million questions running <laughs> in my head, but continue. <laughs> 
Uh, she also had large, large bruises around her throat. So the doctor was like, she was beaten, she was strangled, and she's dead. And so during this, t- when the doctor- Strangled. Yeah. Beaten with something. So she had a huge gash on it, like a huge fracture in the in her skull. She was strangled. And the doctor's like, she's dead. You know, she's not, there's no use in trying to resuscitate her. And so when the doctor pronounced her dead, the young man was just started sobbing. At that point, the police who had essentially been ignoring this like naked jumping man for an hour or so are like, okay, I guess let's try and talk to this guy, see what's going on. Let's get him a towel. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's cover this guy. (laughs) This little jangles up. His bow jangles. His, Cover those family jewels. His biscuits. <laughs> Let's just keep going. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what else can we call him? <laughs> his sausage <Yeah>. and biscuits. <laughs> oh, man. So the police are like, let's try and chat with this guy. They ask if he can hear them and he nods. So they're like, okay, you can hear us. You just can't like talk. Uh, and he minds that he wants to write. So he's like, give me some paper. Well, he doesn't, he's not asking them to check it. Yeah. No, he didn't ask. He's just like, I need so to write some stuff So he's not choking down. on no, something. No, he's not choking. He was like, yeah, yeah he couldn't get to it. But yeah, he wasn't choking on anything. So it wasn't like a, oh, like a. Like international sign right, for choking. Which nobody does when they're choking. No, Like no. I've literally been sitting in on the couch choking. And, and Keith will just look over and go, you all right? Choking is so scary. Like, it can happen. One of my dad's and one of my parents' best friends died of choking. <gasps> and her husband was in the room next Oh, next my door. God. I, anyway, so choking sucks. Yeah. But he wasn't choking. No, okay. <laughs> Going back, not choking. Okay. <laughs> not choking. So um, he was miming that he needs to write down something. And so he's writing super quickly, you know, that the officers give him some paper and a pencil. And he's writing down quickly. And, like, as you can imagine, he's like, Tearing off sheets of paper, like tearing them off and handing them. I'm like, this is like a movie. Like he's tearing, he's writing super fast and like shh, giving it to the officers. So he's giving them paper and he wrote so fast that, you know, a lot of the things they he was writing, police officers couldn't decipher. But what he told the officers was that his name was Arthur Marino and that the woman's name was Joan Coward. Another Joan. I know. Joan. We got that. Well, her last name was Coward. I know, right? Coward. Oh, that's unfortunate. I know. I've never met anyone with that last name. And I'm like, that is a... There are lots of unfortunate well, names. Well, yeah, I mean, Cowell is a British, like, is an Well, I was thinking, like, or English. Crawford or Croward, even. But yeah. Like, nope. Joan Coward. So they were from Blue Island, which was a, a suburb very close to Riverdale, which is uh, where this occurred. And they were engaged to be married. Oh. But they were going to get married when, because Joan was still in high school. They were going to get married when Joan graduated. So they were significantly, they had a huge age discrepancy between the two of them. Joan was 17 and he was 26. So they were like nine years apart. But again, it's 1949. And apparently. I think think that was pretty common back then. And they had gotten engaged the month before. And Joan's parents were a little bit like hesitant at first. But these two were so in love. Like everyone was like they loved each other. So she's 17. She was 17. Oh, that poor girl. But yeah, I mean, people were going away to war. People were like. Life was just different, you know. Yeah. It's just, and again, we've said this before. Like they look like they're so much older. Well, that's actually the picture that I'll, I'll post one of the pictures. It's their engagement photo from like the month before when they got engaged. They look like they could be the same age. She yeah. looks way older than seventeen. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's it. They had was, a lot, a lot. They had to grow up pretty quick during the war years, right? And, and she was celebrating her birthday. Like and it was, she was beaten and strangled and exactly. God knows what else because her dress was over her head. So Arthur noted to the police that the night before was Joan's 17th birthday and they were out celebrating her birthday. So that's what they were out doing. Mm. And, you know, when all of this. So they had met, Joan and Arthur had met at a dance a year before. 
they teamed up to be dance partners and won a contest together that night. And then after that, they just, they became really good friends. And then Joan basically was like, we're, I want to date you. We're going to be exclusive. Or like, you know, they, they agreed that they were going to exclusively see each other. You know, my parents met at a dance. Did they? Yeah. And then they won competitions together. Like they were really good. So this is like them. Yeah. Except they got divorced. Yeah. Yeah. Still. (laughs) And your mom didn't get killed. But but there is a similarity there. (laughs) There's a thing. My, my parents are super good dancers too. Like, Oh, I can see that. They can, they are so cute when they dance. Like my dad, my first dance, I go, I remember saying to my dad, like, what do you think, Dad? Am I a good dancer? And he's like, Oh, yeah. And I'm like, as good as mom. He goes, Oh no. <laughs> so yeah. oh, I could see Mark. I could see, I could see them yeah. cutting it up. They yeah. are good dancers. And they're always like at my sister's wedding this past August, they were on the dance floor the entire time. Like, oh. We were all sweaty buckets of like we we're just yeah. sweating buckets, and my parents are still out oh, there just dancing. Fun. They were like the last ones on the dance floor. It's just so my dad bitched at me during the father-daughter dance and was like, You gotta let me lead, Kate. <laughs> You're like, cool, thanks. I was like, I'll thanks, always Dad. Remember. I was you you already know I was literally a giant when I was a child so of course I got paired with another girl and I had to play the guy so thanks for bringing that up on my wedding night oh my god so so yeah so like I feel like like most people that they like had learned how to dance because it was a fun pastime they're really good at dancing fast friends and and they were exclusively dating pretty soon after so Arthur had served in the Coast Guard during World War II oh yeah and so since coming home he was a salesman that being said he he really loved music so he was like a musician so that was ideally he wanted to be a musician he loved playing the accordion what a lost art my good one of uh, that's adorable do you think that he went to a theater at midnight to just practice his accordion no we talk a lot about accordions yeah who plays accordions these days i do know one man uh i'm sure i know that her her fiance or his fiance taylor is listening but uh one of my good friends aaron plays he's a musical genius so he plays all instruments and he plays the accordion i have a picture of us sitting down here actually with him with the accordion because he's playing it and he's well i think that's a big thing specifically in minnesota because uh, like the polka and because stuff. of the yeah because of the Scandinavian heritage yeah or Norwegian or whatever the hell you call yourselves yeah uh, Scandinavian folk yeah I'm uh, Irish we drink whiskey yeah. and throw rocks <laughs> <laughs> Irish whistle yeah. and we do that and and you know the drums <laughs> so uh so yeah so he also taught piano and they were each each other's like first significant oh, other I know piano. he taught piano he was an accordion player and they were first they were each other's first and like only up to that point significant others oh sweet so so yeah so that's a little bit about them in communicating through writing this is the story that he told police about the night before he said he and joan were heading home from like a night out the night before around 4 a.m when they were forced to the side of the road by two men he said two men were in another vehicle and had like cut them off which forced them to stop and the men got out of the car they had their hands in their pockets as though they were holding guns. And he, Arthur said, I never actually saw again, but they were very convincing. Like I thought that they had guns. And so he followed with their demands because he was freaked out for him and Joan's safety. So he said, one of the men was taller than the other. The other was shorter and wearing glasses. And one of the men got into the vehicle with Joan and Arthur and told Arthur to follow the other car, which was driven by the second man. And again, Arthur thought that they had guns. And so he was like, I guess I have to do this. So He followed a vehicle down the road, uh, a gravel road, and it led to a lake. And the cars stopped near this lake, near a grove of trees. 
He said that the men forced them out of the car. And one of the men said to the other, you take care of him while he kind of led Joan away. And yeah, they searched Joan's purse and took out uh, Arthur's wallet, took out the cash from Arthur's wallet. So it was a robbery. So it was like a robbery. So they led Joan away. And then one of the men brought Arthur down to the lake and forced him to drink something. At first, Arthur was like, I'm not doing that. The guy's like, remember, I've got a gun in my pocket. And he like pointed his pocket and Arthur's like, well, shit. So, you know, he's like, I've got a gun and I'll kill you if you don't do it. So he forced Arthur to take a couple of drinks. And so Arthur takes a couple of, of swigs of this liquid and it immediately like starts Acid. burning his throat. Yeah. It's and, ha- I mean, and also for those of you that are wondering, because I am too, like why I, my immediate reaction was like, why, like if their hands were still in their pockets, like why didn't he try to overtake them or right, whatever? Right. It was such an innocent time. Yeah, and and, I and mean, like, it's just, he caught off guard and there's so many reasons why you wouldn't, I mean, imagine yourself in that situation you think somebody has a gun and you're like 50 50 i'll risk it they were probably more they like they they just weren't exposed to that like like we're all so desensitized to gun violence by this point if someone came up to me and and had their hands in the pockets and and i never saw a gun i would question it immediately immediately no question but during a time when they didn't have that sort of exposure never happened right like Right. So he didn't know what to think. So So he drank acid. So he drank some probably hydrochloric acid, which was accessible back then. And his throat's burning. And at that point, he couldn't talk anymore. So the man then told Arthur to take off his clothes. And Arthur did. Probably so he wouldn't run away. The man then told Arthur to get into the lake. He's like, walk into the lake. And Arthur did. He wasn't a good swimmer. So he was like freaked. He's like, I might drown. But he managed to stay in like an area of the lake that was not, you know, he could pretend like he was sort of treading water. Yeah. And he he was there. He's like, I don't know how long I was out there for. But he was like, I was out there for a good amount of time. During this time, he claims he didn't hear any screams from Joan. He didn't hear anything. And so he waited until he know, like he could see the guy who was smoking a cigarette. He saw the guy flick a cigarette into the water and just start walking back to the car. And at that point, he kind of slowly was like, okay, am I good? Can I like get out? Oh, my God. So the and the man, whole time his throat's burning. Yeah, the whole time yeah. his throat is burning and he can't talk. He can't scream. He can't do anything. And so he watches the man walk back to the car and he waited until he heard the car start and then made his way back to the car. He said he saw Joan in the back of the vehicle and that's when he immediately tied his shirt around his waist and sped to the police station. So that is what he, this is the sequence of events that he told police that happened. Now, the police then decide, you know, after they hear this story, they're like, well, shit, what's in your mouth? They open his mouth and there were red and white splotches in there, clearly a sign that he had swallowed some sort of acid. Yeah, something corrosive. They ordered him to get to the hospital. So they ordered the ambulance to take him to the hospital in the nearby town of Blue Island, which is where they were from. And he was treated for internal burns and was given a sedative. He was, had to be fed with an IV and was like in and out of consciousness the next day. And he was in the hospital for about a month. Well, yeah, because I'm sure the adrenaline wore off by then. Yeah. And then he just realized how much pain he was in. Yeah. And I did find a couple of photos of like when he was in the hospital and you can tell he just looks rough. Like, I mean, he's in pain. And during this time, I suppose like morphine or something. So they probably knock. It's either you're knocked out or you're conscious in it. There's no happy medium. They don't like do a weight to to anesthesia ratio. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So it's like you're, you're either knocked out or you're conscious and feeling a lot so so yeah so he's in the hospital and at that point the police start searching arthur's car 
they found Joan's underwear on the back floor and her shoes were in the front seat. And they were just like, I found a picture, cute little like, like white, Mary like beautiful white heels. And oh. like, you can just imagine her like going out dancing in those cute little heels. And Shit. and in addition, they found like Arthur's sopping wet clothes just were in a ball that had just like been tossed in, into the car. And in the glove box was an empty jewelry box with a note that said, to my honey, Joan, on her 17th birthday. Was it her birthday? It was her birthday, yes. Oh my God. They were celebrating her birthday. They were out oh, celebrating her birthday. Oh, I missed that part. Also, because it's bothering me, why were his clothes wet? Because I thought he threw his clothes off. He was, when he took his clothes off, he said he was standing in water. Oh, okay. And so okay. He, he took his okay. clothes off and he was standing in water. Because I was like, that's an inconsistency. Yeah. And yeah. then they they did, then that at that point, they're like, get in deeper. So then they made okay. him go deeper. Okay. Okay. So the police got enough information from him to determine the location he was referencing. And it was Victory Lake, which was like a small, muddyish lake. Uh, about five minutes from the police station. It, it had been like, it was like a man-made lake. Some apparently- so it was like some, a retention pond. Yeah, some developers. But it sounded like it was like, it was very deep. So it sounds okay. like some developers were, were working on uh, doing some construction out there and they hit, I don't know if it was like a water pipe or groundwater or something. And it filled up this this lake and they tried to fix it. But at the end of the day, they were like, they were like this is a lake they now. They just left it. Kids did use it for swimming and stuff, but it was, a, that it was sounds just like, kind of a small lake. That sounds like what we called growing up the airport pond. Hmm. that my dad would take us out to. And looking back, like we probably shouldn't have been swimming in that. What did it look like? uh, It was just like, it was really deep. It seemed like anyway. And I hated weeds as a kid. Like, I mean, who who likes weeds? Ew. Um, Ecologist. Oh, that's true. Um, <laughs> I know. Fish? God, so, so, in- <laughs> so insensitive. Yeah. For all of our fish Frogs, listeners. turtles. Like, yeah. <laughs> Shall I go on? So yeah, I'm looking up Victory Lake right now. And good news, guys. It's right down the street from uh, Menards. That's right. Menards. Oh, my God. Full circle, everyone. It's right down the street from Menards. (laughs) That's incredible. So you could go to Menards and you could get... Fishing hole. You can get fishing, fishing lines. You can, you can get. You can get ice. You can get like, a cooler. You can get coolers. You can get snacks. Battery operated fans. You can get sunscreen. Yeah, I bet they you have. Get, I bet they have booze at Menards in other states. So I bet you oh, can get booze at Menards. You can get. You could probably get beer. You can get <sighs> beer koozies. You can get water floaties. So those of you in Illinois near Chicago. Hit up Menards and go over to Lake Victory yeah. because it looks like it is. There's like a path around it, it looks like now. So now that is the Midwest check it out. done right. right. Check it out. <laughs> check it out. And if you're looking for the coolers, they're in between the hot tubs and the paper towel. <laughs> like, yeah. A little confusing. Once you understand the land of the Menards, <laughs> you'll get it. But it's always the barbecue stuff that confuses me because I went in there and they were like, we don't know. Like they didn't even know like what I was talking about when I was asking for like a lighter for yeah. a grill. How can you expect those people to understand everything about every single, th- but there are a couple people. There's this woman with gray hair who's yeah. clearly been working yeah. there forever. I always go to her. She knows everything. She about knows, that store. you know, Barb, if you're listening. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, don't know. I hope her name is Barb. Yeah. <laughs> I should find out her name because she's literally for the past she knows seven years since I've lived store, here. Like the back of her hand. Yep. Like, I mean, because the lighters is, and uh, the charcoal is not next to the grills. Right. Which drives Keith crazy. But I'm like, oh yeah, it's upstairs next to the gardening like, gloves. God, like, didn't don't. You know, outdoor so activity. You're so God. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway. Oh, man. Okay. So they head over to Victory Lake and and quickly they found the area 
that was described by Arthur. They were like, yeah, this is like a, an area that has been pushed down. You can tell yeah, they, they can probably see his footprints. Yeah, and like, they can tell yeah, that yeah. things are, had happened there. So in this area, they located Joan's purse. And inside it was her ID and her, the present from Arthur from that box that he had that was the empty box in the glove box. It was a rhinestone necklace with matching earrings. Oh, they never got to win. I know. Oh, just near the area, they found two beer cans and a bottle of ammonia. So, oh, ammonia. Yes. They had him drink them because you can just buy that at the store. Yep. Yeah. So everything was wet with dew. And so it was too wet to gather fingerprints, unfortunately. One strange thing that one of the officers somehow noticed was that the ammonia bottle had like some bubbles in it. When he picked it up. Like when you shake up a bottle of anything, you know, there's like bubbles come up and it takes a while for those bubbles to settle. So he's like, he made a mental note, like, oh, there's some bubbles in here. That's observant. Yeah, I know. I think it's weirdly observant and I don't, we'll get into this This, because this is why I'm telling you this is a big part of the case. So, however, by the time the crime scene techs arrived, they noticed that the bubbles had settled and were gone. So by the time they got there, there were no more bubbles in the ammonia. So keep that in your old noggin. We'll talk about it again in a little bit. File that away in the old noodle. Yeah. So the police put out an APB on the two men, but they didn't have other than like a tall man and a shorter man with glasses. They didn't have a whole lot to go off of. It's at nighttime, right? Yeah. It it was like nighttime. It was dark out. Like like late nighttime. Yeah. Yeah. So. And um, in addition, where the, like the road, the attack happened was a main artery into Chicago. So they're like, they're gone. Like if this, you know, these two men are, are long gone. So they were not feeling super optimistic that they'd be able to find them. So interviews, of course, start happening. So Joan's father was interviewed first and, and just said, you know, Arthur and Joan were absolutely madly in love, in love. He stated that they had left Joan's house at 7 p.m. the previous night. So Arthur and Joan had left Joan's house the previous night. And then they got back again at 11 p.m. So they arrived back to Joan's home at 11 just because Joan needed to pick up her compact, which she'd forgotten at home. Joan told her dad they were going to find a club where they could dance and eat some dinner. So I was like, geez, this is a late night. Like they got home at 11 and they were like still going. And I don't know if it was just like, I, I, I guess I always, you think of like the Beaver Cleaver family or like those sorts of shows where you would think like you've got a curfew of 10 PM. But I was like, I don't know. It just seemed wild to me that 11 PM. They would like, yeah, their night I mean, had just that's started. pretty free thinking, but, but also it's not two 17 year olds staying out until that's true. It's maybe they trusted him because him he was, because he's so much older. That's a good I point. I mean, Kids were just more mature then. Yeah. I don't know. True that. So after Joan's father was interviewed, Arthur finally got enough strength up and was like in between being conscious and unconscious where he was able to be interviewed. And he gave them a little bit more information about the night that all of this had happened. So he said, you know, after leaving Joan's house again at 11, that rather than go to a club, they were like, oh, it's such a nice, beautiful night out. Let's take a drive. We'll maybe stop at some place quick for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. It's June. It was lovely out. And they were like, let's just take a drive. And so they did. They ended up going to a roadside diner for dinner um just having some kind of like casual food and they danced to the music from the jukebox for a little while that's a i know so cute that's so innocent and then at 3 30 in the morning they stopped again at like a little diner for burgers i'm like jesus christ 3 30 well they probably wanted to spend as much time you're right they loved each other because keep it they don't have cell phones they don't have computers to do instant message and phone calls were expensive and this is the only way that they could spend time together. And they're young and in love. Yeah. And, yeah. Know. So they were they sp- were spending as much time for her birthday as they possibly could oh. together. So he said, you know, after eating the burgers, you know, after they stopped at 3.30 and ate the burgers, that's when they were heading home. 
And Arthur was sure that he had not seen the men at either of the restaurants they stopped at. He was like, I don't think we saw them at all that night. He's like, if, if they were around, I didn't notice them. So the waitress at the hamburger stand tells the same story and confirms the timeline. Like, yes, they came at 3.30. She said, Arthur ordered six hamburgers and two sodas. And I'm like, six hamburgers? Maybe they must have been like little tiny, like, you know, like. Little sliders. Yeah, like little sliders or something. So I'm like, geez, <laughs> At first I was like. He's a growing boy. Yeah. Well, at first I was like, that's suspicious, but they didn't like make anything of it. So I'm like, no, they were probably just like, he, maybe he ate four hamburgers and she had two and they were like little tiny things. I he don't was, know. He was a 26 year old dude. Like, I mean, I've known like guys in their twenties that like friends when I was in my twenties that like went to Taco Bell and were like, I ordered 10 tacos. Yeah. True that. True and that. I like I'm remember like, clearly a field trip in like ninth grade where we stopped at Arby's for lunch and it was like the cool thing for the guys to like order like. At the time, I think it was like five for five or something like yeah. five sandwiches for, and they would have, like have a pile of sandwiches. Like, I'm so cool. I eat so much food. And I'm like, <laughs> the opposite for girls where you're like, oh, oh yeah. have a salad. Oh, you don't have salad here at Arby's? Oh, okay. I guess I'll and just then, eat like, like a bite of my sandwich. Eat a cupcake in the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. Like, just terrible. Just, yeah. yeah. So he ordered six hamburgers and two sodas and went back to the car. Um, the waitress said there were a couple other people. There was like a taxi driver was at the stand. And then also like uh, an off-duty police officer was at the hamburger stand at the same time. And the police officer, again, s- confirmed that this had happened. Exactly what what um, Arthur said <sighs> had happened. And he said that Arthur asked if he could borrow 50 cents from the officer. The officer was like, he can't, he's like, hey, can I borrow 50 cents? And the officer gave him a buck. And I was like, yeah, totally. The officer asked about Joan because they must, you know, small town. They probably like knew each other. And he, and he said like, she's, she's in the car still. Like I came out to get the burgers. She's just resting in the car and we're going to eat the burgers in the car. So not a huge thing to note, but like, it doesn't sound like anyone at the hamburger stand saw her like outside of the car oh so that 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 will also come into play i'm sure you can kind of see where this is going a little bit but um that also comes into play so so joan's autopsy takes place they find that she had blood and skin under her nails and a nail had almost been torn off showing that she had struggled hard and had scratched her the people or person that that had hurt her it nail stuff like even oh, in, I know. in movies oh, like i can't handle it there's this do you remember the movie stir of echoes yes <laughs> i was just thinking yes, of that, that no part. i can't even talk about it oh just watch it watch not stir of echoes 2 with rob lowe but (laughs) the first one of echoes with kevin bacon which is a great oh that's one of the scariest movies i think that i oh there's so many parts of that movie that are absolutely horrifying i can't i can't i can't the nail the nail oh god okay move on so so the murderer had also they use this word pounded her over the head but had also strangled her they couldn't determine if, yeah, they couldn't determine if she had died from strangulation or being pounded over the head. With a fist? With some, no, they said it was an object, but they did not locate the object. So they aren't sure what she was literally like beaten over the head with, but she was not raped. So there was no sexual element to this, which is huh. interesting. So yeah, yeah, that makes me. It's interesting because that- if, if rape isn't the why would her dress be over her head yeah and also it seems like this was like a the like why would they separate them though yeah i don't know lots Mm. of questions right yep so joan's funeral happened pretty quickly obviously arthur was in the hospital he couldn't attend but he sent this like giant bouquet this giant flower arrangement just with like the word sweetheart spelled in roses oh just like imagine it so so yeah it was you know they together, Joan and Arthur had just tons of friends. They were very popular. Arthur was just like known to be a, a great guy. Joan was a sweetheart. And so the police were interviewing all of their friends and the police were interested to know like, so Joan and Arthur said they're really in love. Like, were they really in love? Were they like having a falling out? And everyone was like, 
fuck you guys. No, they were in love. Like everyone like unanimously was like, no, they loved each other. There was no, like they were not on a downward swing. They loved each other. They were madly in love. Even Joan's parents were like, no, absolutely not. She loved him. They loved each other. All of their friends were like, they loved each other. Arthur had tons of friends that literally like as prosecutors and, and police officers were trying to pin them into saying anything negative about Joan or, Arthur, like none, all of them are like, no, they were great people. Like there's nothing that we can say like negatively <sighs> against them. So Arthur was in the hospital, like I said, for a full month. And when he was released in July of 1949, he was immediately arrested. Whoa. Yeah. So they spent the last month digging up. So they were trying nothing. to figure out what, you know, they, they were doing a lot of things behind the scenes. Once the prosecutor had kind of taken the case, he was doing a lot of interviews. He was like, you know, Traveling places, digging up things, doing tests, and ultimately he made the decision to prosecute Arthur for first degree premeditated murder. Premeditated. Premeditated. So, but did they have any evidence? So we'll get into that when we talk about the trial. But Arthur's friends and family were just in an uproar and we're like, what evidence is there? Like, we have, like, there's no evidence that he was anywhere near involved in this. Like, he's injured. He's like, he was the in the hospital. Was in the hospital for a month, and the prosecutors refused to tell them anything until the trial started. Oh. They're like, "We'll we'll show you at trial." Yeah. Like- so obviously the defense had like access to evidence and stuff before trial, but it was really like it wasn't until the trial started that they that they would try. That, I feel like prosecutors are showboating a little bit, like to to you know. be like, well. That's uh, that's confidential. We can't tell you. You'll find out at trial. You know I mean, I guess I feel. I don't, yeah, I know how you feel about you know, prosecutors feel about in that. general. Yeah, so. you've completely alienated I part know. of our audience <laughs> that are prosecutors. Now you're like, way to go. The one person. You'd be like, I hate people who have golden labs, and everyone's like, Well, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> God, Katie, yeah. you're so polarizing. I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I won't talk politics, but let me tell you me tell how you. I feel about golden labs. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't true. I fucking love all dogs. So, like, all dogs are amazing. Okay, that's different. I have issues with a couple of (laughs) dogs, but we're not talking about it because we don't want to. want to alienate those all dogs. No, no. All right. So the trial starts in February of 1950 uh, in Cook County in Chicago at the Cook County Courthouse in Chicago. Here's the, the kind of the start of what got the prosecutor's interest peaked with Arthur. He said. Um, Arthur had told three different stories right away regarding finding Joan. So he said he spoke with like three different people who had talked to Arthur, like within those first couple of days. And all of them told a different story with regards to what, what Arthur had told him. First story was that he had found Joan's body outside of the car, like right outside the car when he got back from the lake. I thought he said he found it inside the car. Second story was he told another officer that he had found her in the back of his car when he got to the, out of the lake. So that he was sprawling in the back of his car. Third story was that he found her in some bushes quite a ways away from his car. And he had to like search for a half hour before he could find her. So he told, so his story is changing every single time. Yeah. So in the, in the pretty couple significantly days, because it's where it's when he next sees her. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so prosecutor, the prosecutor's interest was peaked with that, but the defense is like, this is true. Like we're not going to deny that he told these different stories. The man had internal like burning yeah like, his throat was not working he was writing like first story was him writing like on a sheet of paper and they said they said like 
that his handwriting was illegible for parts of it. So, like, did they read it correctly? Like, that first story that That's he told? That's a good point. That's a good point. And then in addition, like, he was in and out of consciousness. He was heavily sedated. He was on drugs. Like, you know, part – I'm just like – I mean, you could see him just telling – different stories when you're not in your right mind i don't know i see i see both I, sides I can of that. see both sides i can definitely see both sides yeah, yeah. so so yeah because def- people react differently under not, not just you know the injury that he had uh but people react differently under duress right or in, and and in shock right so, and it's yeah. just like yeah he was in shock he was severely injured like i it's just was like i i i get why like his mind wasn't right. Like maybe he like literally didn't remember because he was focused so much on like his burning throat. I don't know. But I, I didn't find that super compelling. Right. And that's what the defense said. They're like, listen, like you're right. He probably did tell three different stories, but he's like shit's been going on in his life. He wasn't like a healthy man. He yeah. was in the hospital. So like, like cut, cut him some, some slack. slack. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the second bit of evidence is very interesting. So I told you about the ammonia bubbles. So that also, like, that piqued the prosecutor's interest. So the bottle was, so first of all, the bottle was a local, was from a local distributor. So they were able to search and see who had sold the ammonia and if they could figure out, like, who it was sold to. Um, They also did some tests on the ammonia bottle itself. So what they did is they got six bottles of the same brand of ammonia and they pulled out, like, a quarter of the bottle. And then they shook the bottles and then recorded how long it took for the bob bottles to like for the bubbles to calm down and for them to be like for the I ammonia mean, to settle. It seems basic to us, but that's that's, that's very that's smart. good investigation. Right. I mean, that's yeah. That so is so impressive. yeah. I mean, very impressive, right? So they found that the ammonia would settle in these bottles with that amount gone between two hours and 10 minutes and two hours and 18 minutes on average for these six bottles. So they were like, there was a, the ammonia would have That's settled. A huge gap. Yeah. Well, two hours and 10 minutes and two hours and 18 minutes. Oh, I thought you said 10 minutes. I, oh I'm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like two hours and 10 minutes uh-huh. or two hours and 18. So somewhere oh, in so, those eight okay. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, so we have a time frame because remember the detective, when he first arrived on the scene, he noticed there were bubbles in right. the ammonia right. bottle. So he like, it had been shaken at some point and a few minutes later or however long later, the technician said, no, there were no bubbles. So it had settled by the time the tech got there. So between the time that the, the crime happened, the, the guys met up with them supposedly. Right. Made him drink and, the ammonia. and made him drink the ammonia between that time. And when the officer got on scene, after he had, Arthur had gotten to the police station and they'd gone through everything and Jonah died. Like he, so it had to be less than a two hour period. So police arrived to the scene of the attack at 8 a.m. and noticed bubbles in the ammonia. So if the attack had happened at 435, which is what Arthur claimed, like he said, roughly 435 is when the attack happened. Um, the ammonia would have settled by 7 a.m. at the absolute latest. When did he get to the police station? He got there right around 6. So because the ammonia had not settled, it was clear that the ammonia had been consumed closer to 6 a.m., which is right before he went to the police station. So this is leading police to believe that, like, okay, he was there. He, like, something had happened before, and then he came up with this elaborate idea. Oh, Went and drank the ammonia and then got to the, went to the police station immediately after he drank I was like, well, maybe the incident actually didn't take that long. Right. But then you're talking about that the incident would happen then close to six. 
and then the right rest before. of his timeline seems a little shifty because exactly. you got a couple hours in there that are unaccounted for. Okay. And the prosecutor's like, it, it, the timeline with, with regards to the ammonia bubbles doesn't line up. Also, um, uh, your son sounds like he's practicing for the Olympics. He might be tap dancing. I'm really thinking, <laughs> really thinking about river dancing for him, which oh, isn't actually dancing. a lie. I'm not lying. I wanted to be a river dancer. Did you want to be? You realize oh that's not tap, right? I know. Yeah. It's, it's like Irish river dancing. Yeah. You yeah, could have done it. I know. I don't. I just, I don't know. I just I mean, it wasn't so, for me, see, I guess. I wasn't a dancer, that's but the Lincoln. problem when you're so good at so many things. Like you have to choose one. When you're so amazing. Like you have to choose. Like, and you chose this, was it soccer? No, I was not good at soccer. Volleyball? I was good at volleyball and basketball. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See? Not good at soccer. I was never good at soccer. I played all the sports and was good at none of them. <laughs> I had several, several, not just one, coaches suggest that I might try and find another sport. Like, you know, maybe this isn't for you. Yeah. And they, you know, they all, you know, actually all my professors and my coaches my entire life have said the same thing. And that is if you would just focus and take things a bit more seriously. But maybe you should. Maybe you should. The best comeback. Seriously. The best comeback at all. (laughs) I know you are, but what am I? (laughs) You're so immature. So yeah, so this ammonia evidence, interesting for sure. I just like, I'm That's like- That's a pretty big discrepancy. And, and also, but I'm like, did you really see bubbles? Like, how would you know yeah, that? Yeah, it's all, it's all, all hinging on that, right? Like right. one guy's account of seeing bubbles. And did he accidentally- And like, why the hell tell me? Like, I know, like, yeah, great investigative work. Why was that something you noticed? How, how do you, does he know? Because he's not on the scene by himself. Yeah, right. Or do you think someone did it? Bump it with their foot, or, right? Yeah, or like when he picked it up, or an animal, it. right? Like literally anything. I just like something that loves weeds, like a turtle. Yeah, <laughs> one of those weed-loving animals, not the <laughs> not the marijuana weed. We're talking about the other type of not, actual weed, not the funky yeah. grass. <laughs> All right. So in addition, a storekeeper came forward and said that she had sold the ammonia to Arthur. Oh, and damn identified it. him on the stand. However, the defense Son like came, the defense came forward and and showed that they had actually brought Arthur into that store at some point after the fact to make it just a purchase of a loaf of bread. She didn't. She didn't so, recognize. So him. that that's. Oh. So she clicks. She's like, "Yeah, it was Oh, it's those busybodies that want to get involved. Like, I saw so and so at five a.m. and blah blah. And then they check again, and they're like, "No, she just wants something to tell her." Right. Like, and her the identification friends. itself, I'm trying to remember if it, it was something. It was something peculiar, like like you know, they probably had already seen, probably already seen his face in the newspaper or something. But she, the identification itself was faulty. And then on top of it, she couldn't even identify him when he was like in front of her buying a loaf of bread. So the defense kind of threw that in the trash. Oh, God. Um, so the prosecution also claimed that they found his wallet while searching his home. The wallet that he claimed had been stolen during the robbery. So he claimed... They found it in his home? Yeah. They said that they... Because he claimed that this wallet had been stolen during the robbery. He right. That was... And they claimed that they had found... They found the wallet at his home. But he didn't so, go home after. I don't think he went home. And also, like... It could have been a different wallet. Like, how did he buy the burgers and all that stuff? Like, well, he so his from- wallet was he had it that whole night, and then he claims that and it then was he claims stolen they during- right. That's what I'm saying though is he did not go home in between, you know, when they left the pond or lake or whatever, 
and the police station. And then after he just went straight to the hospital and, and then they arrested him at the right. hospital. So I'm like, how so would it have gotten home? It, like, it, yeah. yeah, it didn't make sense. They also were wondering like, if you had $25 to rob, like you said, cause he said that the robbers looked through his wallet, grabbed 25 bucks out of it. That's a lot of money. Took back it, then. Which yeah, it was a lot of money back then. Why'd you have to ask for 50 cents? Exactly. The police, <laughs> were, like, the police <laughs> were like, if you had $25, why did you have to ask for 50 cents? But then again, the defense was like, he, just asked to borrow it. He was like, Hey, can I borrow 50 cents? I'll go get you. But he was like, he didn't want to leave his burgers, go back, yeah. you know, go back and forth when I think he knew this police officer. So he was like, Hey, do you have 50 cents to borrow? Just like I would do if I was like, you know, at DQ and you were next to me and I was like, Hey, I've got money in the car. My card's in the car. Can you spot me right now? And I'll I would give say, it to you. walk your ass yeah. back to your no, car, get the steps in. <laughs> if you want the ice cream so bad, you go get your money. I don't work. What do I look like a bank? <laughs> yeah. I don't work nine to five. To bankroll your Dairy Queen lifestyle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so the defense was like, he needed to borrow it for a second, but he like, he just didn't want to walk back. Right. However, the police officer didn't say that he brought him a dollar back. So, I mean, maybe I don't, it's. If anything, he's a liar. Yeah. Like, cause he said. Yeah. Right. Or, or he didn't use, he didn't use the word loan appropriately. <laughs> right. It's like, it's again, it's something you for can't sure. prosecute just on that. Yeah. Again, like, it's something, but in addition, so apparently Arthur was the very furry man. He had lots of chest. Oh. Hair. And so the police didn't notice right away, but apparently Arthur did have scratches on his chest. They didn't talk about this in depth. So I think that the, the defense must have found some way to rebut this as well. Um, and the defense, you know, the prosecution's office like, well, obviously these scratches are from, from, you know, sticks from, and you know, Oh no, they were saying it was from her because she oh. had like scratched, Joan had scratched whoever was attacking her. So they're like, oh, right. these scratches must be from, from that. And Arthur, in addition, never said he fought with the people. So there was no reason for these scratches other than them being from Joan. Yeah. But they didn't seem to be very deep scratches. They weren't, they were clearly not bad enough where the police noticed them right away. And yeah, he had chest hair, but like. You would have noticed if he was bleeding and had like significant scratches. Yeah, yeah. Scratches hard and like she scratched hard enough that she broke off a nail. Okay, okay. I knew you were gonna <laughs> say that. I, uh, you would came with the scratches would be more significant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh there was also some medical testimony regarding ammonia, the ammonia. Doctors claimed that two gulps of ammonia was a lethal dose of ammonia. And they said if that's if Arthur really gulped two gulps of ammonia, he would have died. Good point. And so they didn't find any this is Again, this is an old book. Couldn't find a ton with regards to the details on this. But another doctor testified that he did a urinalysis of him and didn't find ammonia in it. So he's like, well, it was maybe it had to have been a different poison. But the doctors at the hospital treated him for internal burns. And everyone agreed other than this one doctor who testified that it was ammonia. So after it had already worked its way through. System right. So and, right. Yeah. So maybe the urinalysis didn't show because it had already. Yeah. Been yeah. Oh, yeah. but. Uh, and another doctor who actually treated Arthur said they didn't find any scarring in his esophagus and that the only proof he had ammonia was in his mouth and that he could have put it in and spit it out yep. pretty quickly. That's so, kind of what I was wondering because I was like, if he drank any kind of chemical that he would have, that damage would be all the way into his stomach. Right. But at the same point in time, he was in the hospital for a month. Like they weren't just going to keep him in the hospital for like some superficial injury oh, to his true. mouth. So I'm like, okay, so there are these doctors that are, you know, testifying to this, but his medical records show he, he had internal burns and was in the hospital for a month. Mm. So it's really, it's really it's tricky. Really, yeah, it is. So in addition, you know, the defense called the original doctor, the one that got there and like looked in his mouth and saw all the splotches. And it was like, you, you said that he had 
had some acid in his mouth or something. And the doctor is like, well, you know, I, I only had a flashlight. I didn't have any medical instruments. So it was really hard for me to tell what he had swallowed or if he had swallowed anything. Because that first doctor was like, you clearly swallowed something. Well, and if you think back to like the medical uh, tools that they had available to them, like they didn't have ultrasounds, they had x-rays. And I think that they, for internal bleeding and stuff, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but they- I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but um, I think that one of the ways that they determined internal bleeding or, you know, that kind of extensive damage is just like feeling the stomach and if the person reacted a certain way. Sure. So So maybe he could have made them think like, oh, I still really hurt or whatever. Uh, That's true. That's very true. Maybe that was the case. Yeah. So the defense relied heavily on character testimony. Like I said, everyone that knew Arthur said he was a great person and loved Joan. And there was no motive. Like, what would his motive have been? Yeah, that's the part I keep coming back to. They loved each other. Like, Like, uh, the only thing I could think of is that she just decided... To break off the engagement. And that's what that, I mean, that's what the prosecutor, they were like, clearly she decided he was too old for her and was, you know, she wasn't ready to get married. But it's like, there was literally no evidence of that. She hadn't told anyone, any of her friends, any family. They were out celebrating her birthday that night. There was no, no indication that she had been raped. So it wasn't sexually motivated. So it's like, what would his motive have been? I don't, I don't know. know. And there doesn't have to be a motive, right? But like, so did they prosecute him? So yeah, so he went to, tr- he was prosecuted. He went to trial and the jury deliberated for three hours. So this was all the evidence that I just yeah. that was presented at trial. The jury deliberated for just three hours and they found Arthur guilty of first degree premeditated oh, that's murder. Bullshit. That is bullshit. You can explain all of those things. Everything. Like, I just the fact that there's no motive here, that to me is like, what would his motive have been? He they were in love. Like they were clearly in love. There was no indication that he was a bad guy. Like he was a good man who loved her. And and Again. like some some flaky woman at the pharmacy's testimony that he bought the that he bought the bottle of ammonia like it, <sighs> no all of the evidence you can you can argue against it I I don't know I just find it I was like this so um, yeah he was sentenced to fifty years in prison however in 1953 he was granted a new trial four years later so four years later he he was granted a new trial. Um, apparently during the original trial, the judge who in his comments about like the sentencing, cause uh, he was sentenced to 50 years and the judge made some comment cause the defense attorney argued like, this is a, like, there's no, this is absolutely an insane verdict. Like yeah. you have to show some compassion yeah. in sentencing. And, but they're like, he clearly got off easy with 50 years. He could have gotten the electric chair for this. So it was obvious that the the judge felt that this was absolutely the correct verdict. You and can't you can't send someone to prison just because you don't have anybody else to send to prison. Right. Like like you you can't just say, "Well, he was there and he's the only one that could have done it." Like, no. Weird shit happens every day. Herman's out there yep. at the lake in the weeds looking for snakes. And maybe Herman had an, a hankering for murder. Exactly. Like, I mean, there's like weird shit happens all the time. And that's still, like all of the things. Like what a fucking thing to make up. Like I just, yeah. I, I, people make up weird shit all the time, but like, but there's easier, there's easier ways to get away with it. Like, right. like what it's just, that is so far fetched and granted. Yes. There were those lurid detective magazines back then that maybe gave him an idea. Right. It's 100% possible. It is. But the thing is, our justice system, just like with Mathis, like he probably did it. Yeah. According to our justice system, if you have reasonable doubt, you cannot prosecute someone. And it pisses me off when it's the judge that makes the decision 
Oh God. Yeah. That is just so, it's so unethical. Yeah. So in this case, so like, obviously it took them three hours. I'm like, it only took you three hours to come to the conclusion that there was no reasonable doubt. Like, did you go through everything or you, you have to wonder like, does the judge ever get to go back with the jury? No. Okay. No, the judge is there to answer questions. So if the jury had a question about something, they can write the question so down. So he can answer a question a certain way, though, can't he? So this is this is the reason that he was granted a new trial in 1953, apparently. But a judge is a, is a king or a queen of their courtroom. And so they have the ability to do pretty much anything during a trial. And during this particular trial, the judge used his authority to question witnesses in a very unbalanced way to make it clear that he didn't believe the defense witnesses. So there was a situation uh, he was questioning a couple of witnesses that the defense had put forward and it was clear that he was like oh are you like you can't remember that huh like seems suspicious like very yeah that's what I'm saying like body language and verbal cues can can definitely influence people and so that was the jury they argued oh. that the jury was influenced by the clear like prejudice yeah the clear prejudice of like this judge against Arthur and the defense argued in, you know, in their appeal, the decision that he should be granted a new trial yeah, because he of should this. Be. And he was, he was granted a new trial. I don't know what happened after that. And that leads me to believe that, that they may not have retried him because I can't find any court cases. I did a ton of research. I can't find any court cases. There'd be a record of that court case. Yeah. And I, maybe they, they discovered more corruption or in, you know, undue influence and, and decided to just let him go. Right. So I couldn't find any years. court cases. I couldn't find any like records of him being in jail. Because if he was in jail for 50 years from 1950, it would have been, I mean, he would have gotten. Oh, you, there's a prison record. Right. There if... would have been a prison record. And he was 26. So, I mean, he would have been 76, likely could have gotten out of jail and 50 years. But I don't think that, you know, there was probably a parole opportunity. Right. So I would have found something and I couldn't. So I wonder if they just decided not to retry him just because him of. Go. Because of the lack of evidence. It's, trials are expensive. And if they don't have any new evidence right. to, to sway a jury. And it sounds like the community was very much like, this isn't right. Like, he didn't do this. And he'd already spent four years in prison. Yeah. So those that think he's guilty are just like, well, I guess he did some time. Right. So that you didn't find anything that says what Joan's parents thought? No, actually, I didn't. I didn't find any. There was like very little. I couldn't find any even old newspapers. Well, I'm guessing this. because in the interrogations, like their like all their friends and and her parents and everything were like they he loves her. Yeah, and that's what Jones' dad they that went in their interview with Jones' dad. Now that was of course before he was charged uh, officially, and and it said like I have no reason to believe he's anything but like a, a swell guy. So I don't know. Just very interesting. So that like with the jury, the fact that they only deliberated for three hours leads me to believe that they were heavily influenced by the judge's behavior which is why he was granted a new trial you know to begin with in 1953 and i i'm guessing that they just decided not to retry him so i mean ultimately i think justice was probably served uh whether or not he did it i don't think he did i just people make up crazy things i get it but it's just like all of the weird details that he came up with i'm like and you guys, they were out for like the only thing that's a discrepancy from what the story that he told is a timeline based off of bubbles in an ammonia bottle. Right. That is the only thing. Right. That is the only thing. And and also, I doubt they tested those six ammonia bottles in the same climate, in the same environment, you know, at the same time of night. Like Because honestly, if it wasn't a lake, lakes have waves. Like for whatever, wind will cause waves. Like that could shift the bottle. There's it, so many things. So many things. So many factors. And if that is the only thing, and that made them question his timeline, which then made them question his story, that in combination with 
He had $26 in his wallet and he asked to borrow 50 cents. Easy explanation. It's exactly what you said. And as far as like, well, he only put the ammonia in his mouth and didn't swallow it or whatever. Maybe he used the wrong word and it wasn't gulps. It was like two sips or whatever. But, you know, also it could be, you know, medically, they didn't have the tools to determine how extensive the damage was. And And maybe he did only take a few things. Like if you're, if you're being pressured to drink something, you're going to make it seem like you're drinking a lot when you're drinking a little. Well, and some's falling, right? you know, and falling out. And like, I, I think his story's plausible. Right. And you know, you like, look at that Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Like you look at that and like, here's this crazy couple going across the country, doing all this horrible shit to people. And maybe they, they could have very well come upon two strangers right. in the middle of the night and were desperate for money and they shot them in those cases were never solved. Exactly. Like it it's yeah. And also I was thinking, as you were telling me this, like two guys in a car on the back roads, South of Chicago, it, like mobsters exactly. were huge back then. Right. And these guys were dirt bags. Like, and they caused a lot of damage. And it could have just been two guys that are, you know, lackeys for some gang and are driving along and like, oh, hey, it'd be fun to rob this couple. Let's run them off the road and do this. Right. I mean, there's so many explanations. And also, like, they might not have raped her. Or, they, or it was because they wanted to rob her. Yeah, they, they just, just wanted, wanted to, to rob, rob her. They wanted to scare her and rob her. Maybe she said something. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, like, I do not think Arthur did it. I think I very much believe that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, whether he did it or not, according to our justice system, he should not have been charged. Agreed. Agreed. He shouldn't have been. He shouldn't have spent a fucking day in jail. Completely agree. So, oh, you got me all worked up. I know. So, (laughs) guys, that is the that is the story of Joan Coward and Arthur Marino from Illinois. So we I've been meaning to print off like a, a big map that we can just like. Do we something could, fun. Yeah, with. We could put it back there. Yeah. Yeah. Do something fun like in each of the states, like maybe print off a picture of I don't know. Yeah. Maybe something crazy. Yeah, it would be something crazy. Something something wild you haven't even thought of. <laughs> like <laughs> So thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please feel free to check us out on Instagram. Like I said, Kate is hilarious and posts lots of funny <laughs> you things. You are too. I post the more serious, like here's the here's the outline of what happened in the episode. But Kate goes to town <laughs> and it's funny. So Find us on Instagram at Three Meditated Podcast. Feel free to shoot us an email, and guys, we got some news. <laughs> we got some big news. We got we do. We got two emails. We over got the week. two emails. And it was like honestly, it made my day. One of the girls was a girl I know, Libby. Shout out to you from. I love Libby's a, story on how oh, she met you. Yeah, she she had to share. She just the fucking so stranger cute. in a bunk bed. Yeah, we That's went all to a bachelorette <laughs> party, and her and her sister. Shelby went to bed before we arrived. We arrived really late. And so they just woke up to me and another friend of ours, Ashley, just like in bunk bed, sleeping across from them, probably creepily staring at them if I'm being honest, but you do do that in your yeah, sleep. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those weird things, but uh, seriously, it made our day. It seriously made my day. And then we got another email from, from um, a, Andrea. Yeah. She, this is like, what a small world. Um, yeah. She also, uh, she's, uh, foster for uh, the same rescue that I volunteer with, which is wild. So she, um, she sent us yeah. an awesome email of her awesome, and adorable she sent little a picture pup. of her foster pup. This dog was that Corgi. Oh, Peggy, the uh, Corgi. And she, Peggy the Corgi. she had, she was a mama and she had puppies 
She was a puppy mill dog. Aww. Yeah. So I don't know, Andrea. We volunteer for the same rescue, but a lot of people volunteer there. And uh, it's up in Wisconsin. And I just thought, well, that is so ironic. So but, seriously, they like, it really made my day. We've had, I love that the a- subject lines were like, here's your damn email. Yeah. And then the here's other one was like, email. your, your mother of an email. Like, <laughs> but seriously, guys, like it, it made my day. It I did. Had, it I really had a rough did. week and it was just like a day brightener for she, me. She like couldn't stop talking about it. It, it really just made my day. So yeah. keep, uh, the email, like, just say hi. Just tell just us that we're doing a good job. You don't yeah. have to do anything. I don't need just anything. Like send us pictures of yeah. dogs. Send we me want. a picture of your dogs. Send me a picture of like a project you're working on. Send me a picture of like what, tell us what's you, going on in your life. Yeah, I you know. Want, I want to hear about it. It's like I want to be your friend. And so, except if you're murdering people, yeah, and then don't. we actually don't want pictures because that could be traced back to us. So. <laughs> Just, so not that, but like anything yeah. else for sure. <laughs> but, so yeah, so send us an email at thepremeditatedpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, tell, tell your folks, folks we says hi.